Um, you know, it's so true. Uh, I say this on Memorial Day, but really it's something that uh, could not be more true, and that is um, we in this country have the opportunity to believe literally whatever it is you want to believe. You have that freedom. I am able to stand here without any fear of persecution that I'm going to be arrested or in trouble for what I'm about to, to do here today. And that is directly a result of the brave men and women who fight for this country. And whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or wherever you're at, uh, I would hope that everybody could stack hands that um, our brave men and women are amongst the best in this world. And uh, we should always thank them. So anytime... Anytime you see someone in the armed forces, please say thank you. It's real easy. We've asked our girls to do it. Uh, they do it anytime they see someone in the armed forces. We do it, and I would ask that uh, you just do the same because they're out there uh, putting it all on the line for us uh, to have our freedom. So um, just want to start off with that. Now, we are starting a new series, and that series is going to start actually next week, but I'm going to give you a preview, a sneak peek today. And if I don't know you, my name is James. I'm the campus pastor here at South uh, Hill, South County. But we're going to start a new series next week, and it's called New. So that way you can't forget it. It's called New. It's a new series. And it's basically Jesus uses the word new an awful lot. Uh, he comes to make all things new. And he uses this a lot. And we're going to, we're going to dig down deep in why. Why does he use that uh, so much? Now, as I was preparing for this message, I was looking for something in my downstairs closet. And I don't know if any of you have a downstairs closet, but it goes underneath the stairs, those really long ones. So for me, we put everything in there. And for me, when I grow in there, I can't walk in because there's so much. So I have like a tunnel that I kind of on my hands and knees go through. And it's sort of like Indiana Jones. I'm kind of like seeing things from years ago. And I found the holy grail of stuff in this shoebox. And I'm going to share with you the contents of said shoebox. Now, this is very valuable. Are you guys ready for this? All right. Here we go. In here, I found some very important things that I once valued a lot, like my glasses. I use these all the time, but they're not even the right prescription anymore. Why haven't I thrown them out? I don't know. But I, I have some other stuff here. Uh, this is my phone, and it's broken. It's an old phone, but I, for whatever reason, can't get, I can't get rid of it. You know, I don't know if you have that junk drawer or something that you just can't get rid of. I can't get rid of it. Uh, this stuff doesn't even mean, this has a lot of sentimental value. This was my dad's pocket knife. And he used to carry it in his pocket all the time. And for a while, I carried it in my pocket. So it's a lot of sentimental value, but it was something I used all the time. Also, we have, oh, now this is cool. These are skateboard trucks. <laughs> I use them on my skateboard because I am a great skater. Uh, they won't let me skateboard in Ladera Ranch, something about the insurance or whatever. I don't know. But anyways, um, this is something I used all the time. I was always using it because I was always skateboarding. I even have this. It's for my PlayStation that is broke a long time ago, but I can't get rid of it. I just Because one day I might fix it. You never know. This is extremely important. Extremely important. Uh, I used every day. It's my old retainer. I, mean, I would not have this beautiful smile without the retainer. I'm going to throw it out whoever wants it. I'm kidding. Um, now. I don't know how or why I actually kept a lot of stuff. Now, my dad's knife, I get it, but it had sentimental value. But a lot of this stuff doesn't really make sense to hold on to. However, at one time, I needed it daily. At one time, I used it all the time. There was a point when all of this was very, very important. And now it's somewhere that I didn't even know we still had all this stuff in the corner of a closet. 
How many of you have those old shoes, those running shoes that you're like, I'm saving because when I start going running again, I'm going to need those. Or basketball shoes or tennis rackets or whatever it is. And you go, I'm going to need that one day. I kind of did it before, but I'm going to put it away because I know I'm going to use it again. What I realize is that a lot of us use our faith like this. We put Jesus in the same boat as, or in the same box as religion, as some sermon notes that you once had that were really valuable, as some books that you read that were really helpful, as some old sermon CDs or tapes or, or DVDs that you found helpful. And you put it in a box and you mark it religion and then you put that box away and then one day because you may need it again. Some people bring that box out, that religion box, they bring it out at Christmas and Easter. And then they kind of put it back away. I don't really need it otherwise. So it, we all put everything back in that same thing because you, you never know if you're going to need it. And again, a lot of us view Jesus in the same boat as religion and all the other stuff. We put it in that box called religion. And one day I might need this. One day I might get in trouble and I need to take that box out. One day I'm going to need something, so i got to take that box out. One day I'm going to get a diagnosis that I'm not really happy with. I'm going to take that box out. Whatever the case is, I'm gonna, but I don't want to get rid of it. And some of you maybe grew up in church, said, I used to use it all the time, but I don't really have a whole lot of use for it anymore. I just can't get myself to throw it away. I just can't do it. Like all the things in this shoebox, faith, religion, Christianity, belief systems, they are not the same thing. Even though they're in the same box, they're not the same thing. They're all very different. Now, I think that we view, tend to view church in that way too. We grow up with a certain set of beliefs. We grow up saying, uh, church is a place with a steeple and some stained glass, and there's a choir, and they wear robes, and the pastor wears a suit, and all that, that's what church is. And some of you go, well, I kind of grew out of that, so I don't really go to church anymore. And you put that with Jesus and all the other stuff in your religion. Maybe if it's newer, maybe you're like, you know what, I started going to church about 15 or 20 years ago, and church is a gigantic building with like a, um, you know, a, a, a wave pool and a lazy river for the kids and an arcade and all these things, and the, the music's got to be loud with smoke and, you know, laser shows and everything else, and that's church. And then you grow out of that, and you're like, well, I think I'm kind of growing out of that now. I'm not really interested in that anymore. I'm not really going that. And you equate it again with Jesus. And you not only walk away from that idea, but you walk away from Jesus until you may need him again. There may be a time where you actually need him again. So you don't want to throw it away. You're just like, I'm kind of grown out of that for now. Now, when you look at the very first people who spread this faith, all they had was their belief. And we've talked about this before. But the, the first Christians or the disciples, all they had was their belief. All they had was their eyewitness accounts. There was no Bible. So they couldn't go to somebody and go, hey, you should check this out. The Bible says this. There was no Bible for them to reference. These are all regular guys. But they started a movement with just their belief, what their eyewitness accounts says. Now, you've got to remember this is a very interesting thing. When these disciples were, were picked by Jesus, they were just tax collectors or a tax collector, or, or, or fishermen, or professional anarchists, or some teenagers with nothing else to do. These are regular people. And Jesus picks them. This is the very first time a rabbi would actually come to guys like this and say, I want you to come with me. Nobody would ever pick these guys normally. They would never have picked them. They, they want the guys on the upper echelon, the guys that have been born to do this, the guys that did the schooling. Let me put it in this context. I'm a pastor. 
And if I'm going to hire somebody at our church, then usually what we do is we tend to get like resumes and we see, okay, this person went to this seminary and they have this PhD and they have these qualifications. This is good. Or I could just go to Proud Mary's and see some guys drinking some beers and say, hey, guys, I'm I'm starting a church. You want to come with me? Uh, what? Sure. That's what Jesus did. He went to these guys that nobody else was thinking about, nobody else was talking to, nobody was saying, oh, we need these guys. They're the top of the line. They're the best of the best. He didn't do that. He said, come on, come with me. He saw who they were. He saw what they, they did not see, and he used them to literally change the world. Now, something happens along the way. As Jesus has is, is, is got these guys, and they're in it, and they're so excited about it, and they're like, yes, this is what, I'm, this is what I'm, I'm meant to do. Something happens along the way. Jesus dies. So the movement really should have died with it. And when Jesus died on the cross, really these guys really went back together. We've talked about the disciples before. But these guys really kind of went back together, and they're like, well, that was a good ride, but it's over. It was fun, but it's over. We met some people that we wouldn't normally have met, but it's over. Jesus is dead. Let's all move on. It's, it's time to go. We made some good friends. We did some good stuff together. We saw Jesus do some really neat things, but it's over now. And I think for us, we have that same thing too. Maybe some of you grew up in the church like I did. And then you got to the age where you could decide for yourself. And you're like, it was useful for a while. I used to get stuff out of it. But now, it's kind of dead now. Because the hope I had and what I thought Jesus was or I thought God was, it's just not, it's just not, it's just not happening for me anymore. You know, I, I really felt like uh, I, I was, I was kind of going because my parents wanted me to go. And I think I'm done now. And like the disciples, their faith kind of died with it. Our faith kind of died with it. How do I know? Because 70% of high school students will not go to church after high school. 70% of high school students will not go to church after high school. Friends, that's a conservative number, by the way. They won't go back. Why? Because the stuff that they grew up with and they said, well, this is what I was told to believe and this is what I was told what was right and this is what I was told what to do. I could make my own decision and it's just not real for me. And it's not something that I want to do anymore. And they walked away. How do I know? I was one of those 70%. (laughs) When a second I got to choose if I wanted to go to church or not, I said, no way. Why? Because it wasn't real to me. All they were doing for me was giving me more stuff to do. I had enough stuff to do. They were loading up my schedule with, hey, don't forget, there's this thing on Thursday and this thing, and then there's a study on Wednesday, and there's a thing on Monday. And they're trying to load me up, and I'm just like, I've already got enough stuff to do. I don't need any more stuff to do. And when I got my decision to to do whatever I needed to do, I walked away too. Because it wasn't real. Because I wasn't hearing anything that was real to me. I was hearing an idea of what I was supposed to believe because my parents believed it. And just like these disciples, they said, you know what? It's over. It's gone. It's, it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a thing that we, we, we did for a while, but it's gone now. And all hope seemingly died with that. Now, it's also important to know that when you consider the very first uh, Christians, or even before that, uh, the Jews, they actually were considered at the time uh, atheists, if you're going to consider this. And I'm going somewhere with this. Um, 
They were considered atheists because the Romans had multiple gods, the Greeks had multiple gods, and the conquering, uh, the people that were occupying uh, the Jewish people, uh, so they were like, well, then you're atheistic to all of our gods, and they were kind of considered outsiders and, 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 and crazy and, and not really, really uh, with them. And we, I think, to this day, do that as well, because we have an interpretation of who God is as well. We have something that, that we kind of think, okay, God is this. Some of you might think uh, God is the bodyguard God. So if I get into trouble, God is my bodyguard God. Or if, um, uh, you know, uh, God's the on-demand God. If I need something, I want it now, that's the God that's supposed to be there. And then I didn't get it, so I don't believe in God anymore. God is the make-me-happy God. If, as long as I'm happy, then God is happy with me. And if I'm not happy, then God is gone. And so a lot of us view have, we all have multiple gods to this day because we're kind of thinking, well, God is this and God is that. God is this to me and God is that to you. God is whatever it is you want to be. And then we get let down. And then we're like, God let me down. You know, that was me, honestly. I said, God's my protector. God, my parents are getting divorced. Where are you, God? You're not really protecting me. I don't know if I want to hang out with you anymore. God was the God who was supposed to take care of all of my needs. And I'm a lonely, scared kid. Where are you, God? I don't see you. I saw wars happen. I saw people losing jobs around me. Where are you, God? You're supposed to protect all these people. I saw wars happening. Where are you, God? You're supposed to protect those people too. I saw people hurting each other and parents arguing. Where are you, God? If you're real, then you're terrible because you're letting this stuff happen. And that was my view. My God, was the, the view I had of God is, God, you're not a very good bodyguard. God, you're not very good at making me happy right now. God, you're not very good at on demand. God, you're not a very good genie. I have these wishes. You're not granting them to me. I don't get it. Then you must be fake. You must not be real. And then it occurred to me, if I really want to know who God is, why don't I look at the life of Jesus? Because that's God. So if you're here and you're thinking, well, I've been let down, and why does this happen, and why does that happen, and God is, you know, God's supposed to be loving and kind and all these things, but, but, but why is he doing all this stuff? And I wish God would just reveal himself to me already. I wish he would just show up. I wish I would know who he is because he's really frustrating me. And it's like, you want to know who God is? Look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm God. And everything that he did was so that you could see this is who I am. Now, the one thing that I could never, and this is just a little side note, but the one thing I could never, and I've got friends with other different beliefs and faiths, and I love that we could have healthy debates, but the one thing that I never understood was people saying to me, well, God, he was a, no, Jesus was a good person. He was kind of like Gandhi. He helped some people. He, uh, you know, he did some miracles. He's not the son of God, though. He's not the Messiah. I would say he was crazy then. If he's not the son of God, he's a madman. He's crazy. How could you possibly say that, well, he's a good guy? He said he was God. Martin Luther King was a great guy. But if he said he's God, I'm going to say he's a little crazy. He's not. But if you look at the life of Jesus and they say, well, you know what? He's a good guy. He was a good prophet. He did some nice things. But he's not God. I don't, that doesn't square up with me. I don't get it. Well, he didn't necessarily say he was God. I had somebody say, he didn't say he was God. Hold on a second. John 14, 8 through 11 says this. Philip said to him, Lord, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to go up one more. John 14, 5 through 7. Thomas said this. Remember Thomas? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, 
I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Clearly saying, I am God. If you've seen me, you've seen him. So Thomas is asking a really good question. How do we know the way? Jesus is saying, he is the way. And if you know him, you know the Father. John 14, 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe an account of the works themselves. So he's saying, show, show us the Father, it will be enough. That's what Philip is saying. And Jesus is saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, and if you still don't believe me, look at the works. Oh, we've got some more. We're not done. John 14, 22, 24, I feel like, uh, you know, John 14, 22, 24 says this. Judas, not Iscariot, kind of like the Bible says not Iscariot, um, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, really, let me pause for a second. These are great questions, aren't they? If you're having a conversation with the physical Jesus, I'm asking those same questions, by the way. How do I know you're him? I've seen you do some cool stuff, but I don't, how do I know you're him? Uh, and, and if you're him, why don't you go tell the world? Why don't you do something like that? This is what he's asking him. Jesus answers him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the world that you hear is, and the word that you hear here is not mine, but is the father's who sent me. Judas is asking him, how is it you've made yourself known to us but not the world? And Jesus is saying, whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him. In other words, that's your job, Judas. You go tell the world. You've seen me. You go say something. So out of these three exchanges, we learn this. Something about Jesus is this. He is Father, he is Spirit, and he is love. He is Father, he is Spirit, he is love. We started by saying that belief, faith, Christianity, religion, they are not all the same thing and are mutually exclusive to each other. What do I mean by that? You could be religious and not be a Christian. You could be religious and not be a Christian. I think Christians, unfortunately, get this wrong sometimes. I think they feel to be more empowered, they have to associate themselves, well, we're a part of a bigger religion. We're a part of a bigger thing. We could tell you what to do. We have now a right to tell you how to live your life. And the reality is this. They are exclusive. They're mutually exclusive to each other. Jesus did not come here to set up a religion so that you could tell everybody else what to do. He said, I am here to save you. He himself said, I'm not here to judge the world. I'm here to save it. He is the only one that had authority of that. But Jesus is saying this, I did not come to start some sort of a club so that you would all get together and tell everybody how wrong they are. I came to save you. And what I do for you in your life, I want you to share that. That's what the disciples did. He did all of these things and he said, now go and share this. Go spread the news around the ends of the earth. You know, <clears throat> Throughout history, people have used God for their own personal ambition. 
and to abuse and control people and hide under the uh, religion umbrella. But you can't earn a relationship with Jesus. All you need to do is accept it. All you need to do is say, I believe in it. Now, what are you believing in? If Jesus is God, what are you believing in? I mean, if he's dead, he's dead, he's gone. Most leaders that died, you just go away. And that's really what the disciples were going to do. They're going to say, well, it's nice, but it was, it was, it's, it's over, it's done. But then it happened. Jesus comes back to life. He does exactly what he said he's going to do. Now, we aren't here because some gritty first century commoners put together uh, the collected sayings of a rabbi and sold it for $25 a piece and said, hey, check this out. We're not here because those same gritty guys decided to pull one over on the Roman Empire and start a rumor. We are here because they were giving an account of what they saw. Now, again, when Jesus died, these guys took off, and, and I get it. I mean, if, if, if you're you know, scared, you're going to take off. But when he comes back, they were all willing to die for him. Think about this for a second. Let's take a really extreme example. Let's take a very extreme on the other side. Let's say uh, one of the worst men in the world, but there's been a lot of leaders like this. Let's say Hitler, right? Hitler dies. Who is now willing to go die for Hitler? This whole gone. He's dead. I'm not going to go die for this guy. He's gone. This whole thing is gone. This whole movement is gone. And that's really what should have happened if Jesus was actually dead. I'm not going to go die for that guy. I didn't die for him when he was alive. I'm not going to die for him when he died. That's crazy. But that's when the movement really got started. Because when Jesus returned to them, all fear of death escaped them too. Because Jesus conquered death. We see this played over and over throughout history. The kind of boldness that Peter, Paul, James, and the other dis others displayed is only possible when all fear is removed. Let me say that again. The kind of boldness that Peter, Paul, James, and the others displayed is possible only when all fear is removed. None of, these, none of these men were willing to die for a religion. They were willing to give their lives because they saw the resurrected king and gave their lives, spreading what they had seen. What they had seen. Now, as we move into the, the next series, we'll keep these thoughts in mind, but I, I want to ask you a question. And that is, what's the faith of the next generation worth? In other words, how will we use our story of what Jesus has done for us to affect the next generation? Would we, what would we do differently if we knew that we were handing off this belief to others? That's what these guys did. That's what the disciples did. They had their story. They knew they were handing something off to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It didn't die when Jesus died. When he came back, they kept handing the stories down and down and down until this day. How, how would we engage a culture that is asking questions and not getting answers that makes sense in their world? You see, I think a lot of times we, that we've walked away, I've said this before, but, but we walked away from Jesus is because we had a false sense of who he is. I mean, we didn't really know him in the first place. And we walked away. But you actually did not walk away from God. Because God is not what you thought of as all the judges and all the other stuff that we sort of thought he was. If you really know who Jesus is, it's, you'll realize that it's not some sort of a religion that we're trying to convince you into. It's a relationship. What made the disciples great isn't what they did. It's what the Holy Spirit did through them. And that same spirit is alive in us. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? 
Now, here's the thing. You might be saying this, but I just started going to church. So? None of these guys were in church when Jesus found them. It's okay. I just, this is my first day. I don't even know if I believe this. You're qualified. Good. You're in. Well, uh, okay. Well, uh, I don't have the Bible memorized. So there was no Bible for these guys. No big deal. But uh, I've never been to seminary. So neither have they. What did they have? They have what we all have. They had their story. Friends, the reason why I was personally was pushed away from wanting to have experience more of a relationship with God is because I was so tired of everybody pretending that they had life all figured out. I was tired of going to church and having to pretend that I had all the answers. I was tired of going around and acting like I knew what I was doing when I clearly didn't. I was tired of acting like the people that hurt me didn't hurt me. I was tired of acting like I had to be something else. I was tired of acting for everybody's approval. I was so sick of it. So I was like, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. Until I said, I'm going to share my story, my ugly story, my shortcomings, my flaws, my sin, my failure. I'm going to go there. You want to affect the next generation? Don't be phony. Don't tell them a bunch of stuff to make yourself sound smarter or more spiritual or more religious. Tell them the truth. Say, I don't got it all figured out either, man. I'm doing the best I can. Things suck for me too. I get it. It's not easy. That's what those guys did. How could you say we're going to be like the disciples? When I've seen the disciples' pictures of them, they're in the clouds and they're kind of like this. And they're these holy guys. How could you say that? That's blasphemy. I can't say like I'm like the disciples. Yeah, you are. They were regular people. Just like us. And they said yes to Jesus. They followed him. And they used their story of what they've seen. You all have the opportunity to do that. I would encourage you to do that. This church will continue to be known for an authentic, real place. If you are visiting us here and you're not a Christian, it's okay. If you're visiting us here and you're not sure about church, it's okay. If you're visiting us here and you're a little hungover, it's okay. <laughs> None of us have this figured out, guys. Life is messy for all of us. We put on nice clothes, we have coming with our family, we look happy, but all of us have stuff, and it's okay. It's okay, because we're going to share what Jesus did in our lives and what he can do to resurrect us when we're feeling like we're out of it. Right now, I am going to give you an example of that very thing. I'm going to uh, ask one of our very own and I want you guys to go crazy for her. Uh, I talked to her this week, and I heard her, a little bit of her story. And I'm like, Missy, I, this, I'm going over my message. I'd like for you to share. And she said, okay, I'm in. So give a very warm South Hills welcome to Missy Anderson. Come on, Missy. Get up here. Is it this one? Well. It was the night of the Oscars. And um, I don't know if any of you have had one of those events where you're so excited. I was all dressed up. I had my gown on. I had all my jewelry on. And I also had a BMW, brand new. So I thought I was pretty um, hot, actually. I was 52, and I'm driving my BMW. I'm all dolled up. 
and I'm leaving a friend's house, and I have the back of my brand-new BMW loaded with 400 gifts for those that were attending the Oscars. Now, there's a little, I mean, have you ever had that moment you're at the top? And I figured, I'm at the top. Now, there's a little backstory. Is um, I lost my house with my husband. We survived stage four cancer with him. I lost 13 of my friends in one year, and I thought God got me through a lot. And I thought, okay, well, I'm back. I'm back. God got me through all this, and I'm pretty amazing, and I'm strong, and um, I'm thinking about the Oscars and how amazing I am. And um, I, you know, it was a pride thing for sure. And I rolled through a stop sign in San Juan. And all of a sudden, I see this little light go on behind me, and it's a motor officer. Now, those of you that live in San Juan, there is a motor officer. He's since retired. Um, thank you, Jesus. And um, he's tall, and he's very distinctive. And um, he pulls me over. And I'm thinking, do you understand who I am, really? Um, I got my eye on the Oscars, not Jesus. I'm going to own that. And... I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't have a lot of time here. You better hurry up and write me a ticket. Well, the other part of this is I was a police officer years ago, probably before a lot of you were born. And so when somebody pulls me up, they see that I worked for Huntington Beach. And I thought, well, of course he's going to know I'm an officer. I'm even more important. And um, he's not going to write me a ticket. So just hurry up, do whatever you're going to do. And he's delayed. And I'm thinking, this isn't a good sign. So he comes back to me, looks at me, and he said, you need to get out of the car. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. I'm not going to get out of the car. I have a, I, don't you see I'm going to the Oscars, and I'm in my brand-new car, and I'm pretty important right now. And um, I was gently taken out of the car, and I got really angry. And I thought, how dare you? do this to me. How dare you? I have survived so much. I'm at the top of my game. Don't touch me. Don't do anything. Because I'm going places and you don't have a right to do this. Well, he threw me on the ground and put cuffs on me. And he said, you're under arrest. You have an unpaid speeding ticket from 19 years ago and you're going to jail. Now, what was even more interesting was my friend that I was visiting, her husband had pulled up behind what was going on and called my husband. And my husband arrives and trying to figure out if they're going to tow the car and all this. And I go to jail. Now, I was having a little bit of a meltdown. <laughs> um, because I've arrested people and taken them to that jail. And I'm thinking, here I am arriving in cuffs and they go to take a booking photo. For those of you that have never been arrested, it's just not a really fun experience, <laughs> and I started making faces. And I mean like a five-year-old when they stick their tongue out. And um, it, I, I just was so angry. I was so angry. And I thought, if I had Jesus right now, you would get me out of this and make it better. Well, it didn't go better. We had to strip down, take a shower, and then I had to stay overnight there. They wouldn't let me make a phone call um, because I wasn't really behaving very cooperatively. 
And um, I ended up being in this room of all these women that had very tattered past. And at the time, I thought, wow, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, you, how could this happen to you? And I was looking at all these women, and I had such disdain for them. And then I just closed my eyes, and I literally, if, and if you've been to Orange County Jail, it's um, just not, it's almost like being in Mexico. Like we had, an, the mattress had an um, a old blanket on it. They served us a bologna sandwich with moldy bread, honestly. And I thought, wow. And then God just put on my heart, like, who are you? Why are you any better than these women? You're, they're, you know, they, they have survived so much. So I thought, God really moved me to hear their stories. And so we ended up talking about what they would do when they got out. And we ended up pulling out Bibles and talking. And it really transformed my heart once again. I'm definitely that work in, in progress. And the fact that my husband has put up with a lot of these situations. That was the only time on that one. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a rinse repeat on that one. Um, but I just, if you would have seen me that day in my car and my dress, and you would have thought I had everything together. You would have thought, man, she's risen. I, we have literally risen from the ashes more times than I would want to admit. And so the package looked great. I, you know, I felt like I was Neiman Marcus, but the background was a bunch of tattered boxes, ribbon, and I was a complete mess. And so I wanted to share this with you today because God just really showed me through a very tough circumstance that he's there with us always, that these women deserved a conversation. And just because they're in jail and they've had a long history of some bad choices, we ended up having like a great conversation. Like, what's it like to own a business? What is it like to go to a Bible study? And then, you know, we read the Bible and we talked about exactly what James was talking about is that, you know, God is here and it's not a religion. And what he did with me that night and that next morning was really once again transform my heart that he is always with us and that I didn't get it from church. I didn't get it in, um, you know, being this package, it was that God is with us forever and he never leaves us. And so even if you make and have made a whole series of bad choices, even when you show up messy, um, bruised, battered, tattered, that he's there. And so I hope that when you look back on those moments that are ugly, messy, imperfect, broken, and you're that little tiny mosaic laying on the floor and you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to pick myself up. God knows that he's going to turn it into this beautiful piece that he's going to use for his purposes. He is. I mean, I, I, Pastor was listening to me on a radio show and I thought I'd never tell this story ever, ever. Like I said, I'm never going to tell this story. <laughs> and um, so I hope that that because of Pastor James, we all show up more real and tell our story to others because that's where they're going to see Jesus in our imperfect mess where we're kind of bruised and um, a little bit messy. So thank you for allowing me to share my story this morning. So good. Thank you.
what can we learn from that story? Pay your parking tickets. That's right. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Here's the thing. A set of rules and religious rituals didn't get Missy back on her feet. We all have that stuff. It was a relationship with Christ. And we're going to close today, and I want you to really think about your relationship right now. And I would love for you to consider writing down something you're struggling with on that prayer card. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it may be. Last week, we had the most cards come back than we've ever had ever. And I was going over each one. And I was so proud of the boldness that this church family has of just going, hey, I'm hurting and this is what's going on in our life. But I want to encourage you today that, um, again, whatever it is you're going through, don't ever try to win an argument for God. He doesn't need you to be his attorney. If somebody doesn't believe in God, don't try to convince them. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Just share your story. I've been around so many well-meaning Christians where I'm just like, oh, shut up. You're making it worse. You just keep talking and talking and talking about how wrong they are. It's not, have you ever had that where somebody's like, you're so wrong, I can't believe you're such a moron. Would you like to come believe this now? Oh, sure, yeah, now I'd love to, yeah, that'd be great. No, just share your story. Let's keep it simple, okay? Just share your story. You can start that by writing down what you want, what you got going on right now. And the same God that was with those disciples that started that movement is the same God that's present with us right now, is the same God that wants to see this ministry continue to expand along through all of all South Orange County. And we're going to continue to do that together by being real and by sharing our story. Not by showing a bunch of really fancy highlights of a lot of fancy things that we do. We're simply going to share our story, and that's going to be enough because we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, and we're going to do that together. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you so much, God, for the opportunity that we have uh, to be here in your church. God, we just kind of started this teaser for what we're going to get into the next four weeks with new God. I can't wait to dive deep into what that looks like, having a new life with you. Father, if there's somebody here right now that says, I want a new life, I don't like my life. It's not turned out the way I wanted it to. Things aren't going well. That job is not where I thought it was supposed to be. Where is it? That life partner, I'm, I'm not seeing that person. Where is she? Where is he? Those issues that I got going on with my health, I'm a little scared. Where is that? Father, help us right now to acknowledge that we don't have all the answers instead of waiting until we hit rock bottom. Let's acknowledge now I, I don't have all the answers, but, but I'm willing to start asking the questions. So God, if there's anybody here that's just, I just want a new, fresh start. I want a new life. I pray that they could just follow this prayer, and that is, Jesus, what I thought of you and who you are are, are two different things. But I want to know who you really are. I want you to be real in my life. So the best way I know how, I'm asking you to just come into my life. Maybe some of you today are, have said that prayer before, but... Maybe you've fallen away and you just need to say it again. I just pray that you could um, find that peace that only comes from that relationship with Jesus. So, Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your church. And um, we thank you for what you're going to continue to do uh, in this church family. It's in your name. Amen. Um, we are right now, as I mentioned, we're going to give um, 
our tithes or offerings. If you are new, please do not put anything in the offering except for uh, any prayer requests. We can be praying for you. We want you to get something. We don't want you to have to give anything. But falls, and that goes to uh, members do as, um, as we give back. We also have uh, beyond our walls, and that goes to uh, giving to uh, New Start New Campuses. Um, so uh, we're going to do that right now as well. Thank you so much, you guys. We're going to go into a four-week study that I'm excited about. I've seen what's going, uh, the, the, uh, the topics. It's going to be exciting. It's fun. I hope you come.